We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 16 is where we start. Is everybody there? Okay, I gave you ample opportunity to get the scriptures up. Yes? Good. Um, <laughs> anyone here, and by a show of hands, I'm asking this question, anyone here uh, eat at the Cheesecake Factory? <clears throat> Raise your hand high. You'd be proud of that. Um, I, too, eat at the Cheesecake Factory, but I have a love-hate relationship with the Cheesecake Factory. Um, I love them for their cheesecake. Now, for me, the banana cheesecake is amazing on so many levels. Um, I'll be my wife gets, babe, you get the mousse, some kind of chocolate cake or something, black tie or something along those lines. But their cheesecake is just simply amazing. Um, and I love them for that. But I hate them for their menu. Um, their menu is exhausting. Um, I, I don't want to go to the restaurant and read a novel. I came to eat, and you, you've got a lot of words in here that I can't even necessarily pronounce, and it just aggravates me because I just want to eat. I just, I, just, I just want my meal, and I end up ordering stuff that I don't necessarily want simply because I don't want to hold up everybody at the table with me trying to figure out and dissect everything they just put in this book of recipes that they just exposed to us. It, it is fairly aggravating for me. And truthfully, I don't really ever go through the menu. I just see something, I'll take that because I don't want to read the rest. I want to get the food, ma'am, sir, just bring me my food so I can get on with it. Does anybody else feel that way about cheesecake? But when you think about it, though, this is a way to open up a sermon with food, right? The wrong thing to do. Um, but when you think about it, though, what is their cuisine? What's their thing? We know cheesecake is their thing, right? But when it comes to the menu, when it comes to the main dish, what is their thing? What is their cuisine? They're not an Italian restaurant. They're not a Mexican restaurant. They're not an Asian restaurant. They're not a European restaurant. But all of those cultures' cuisine is on the menu. They don't claim to be any of that, but all of that stuff is on the menu. And because there's so many cuisines on the menu, it makes it hard for me to choose what I really want. Just like the Cheesecake Factory menu, many of us have taken that approach when it comes to our spiritual walk. We've labeled ourselves a Christian a Jesus follower specifically, but when you start to look at how we live, there's a lot on the menu. We justify our emotions by our zodiac sign. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? We engage and disengage in relationships based upon energy. We find ourselves going on these spiritual journeys, and my question is, what are you going to do after you get back from that journey? Depending on the day, God will be this higher power out there in the cosmos, and he has 
no name. We call ourselves Christians, but there's a lot on the spiritual menu for us. And I guess the question I want to get at today is, what's, 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 what's on your menu? Truly, what is, what is on your menu? I know that you've labeled yourself a Christian, and I know that you've confessed salvation and all those different things, but when, 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 when I look at you, and when you look at yourself, and when you look at Christians as a whole, there's a lot that contradicts that. There's just a lot. Because here's, here's the thing. If, if, if you've proclaimed salvation and you, and you call yourself a Christian, specifically a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit comes to the doorstep of your heart continually looking for what's on the menu. The Holy Spirit will not take a seat at the table of your heart and make himself at home until Jesus is the only thing on the menu. Because you've confessed salvation, you have access now to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shows up at the doorsteps of your heart, asking every single time he shows up what's on the menu. And sometimes Jesus is on the menu, and sometimes he's not. As a matter of fact, sometimes Jesus is the main course, but the appetizer is something else. It's just an appetizer. It's not the main thing. It's just dessert. I'm just going to take one bite. It's not the main. Jesus is the main thing, but, 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 but the Holy Spirit cannot have effect in your life. He cannot, you cannot access the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus is the only thing on the menu. Jesus is the appetizer, the main course, and the dessert. He has to be everything on the menu because the Holy Spirit is not going to make himself at home in you until there is nothing left, until it is only Jesus. Shout Jesus. It is only Jesus. The only option I got is him. And when you look at me, all you see is him. And everything I do is done through him. The only thing that he can, oh God, the only way that he will stay in your heart and make it possible for you to pull off everything in scripture is if Jesus is on the menu. That is why, listen to me, y'all. That is why scripture and everything that God asks of us can seem so daunting. I can't. I can't, I can't do that. But you could if you had the Holy Spirit. That is what the Holy Spirit is for. <laughs> the only way that you pull off scripture and the only way that you can obey God and be of God and, 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 and have God walk in your life is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But most of us, most Christians are void of the Holy Spirit because there's too much on your menu. The Holy Spirit says this is an unclean place and I can't stay here. My people who know me well, my family can, can, can attest to this. Um, I've been to restaurants and I've been to hotels. Once I identify uncleanliness, I'm gone. Y'all not listening. I've signed my contract at a hotel. I've walked into my room and I put my bags down and I looked at my wife. Baby, it's time to go because this place is unclean. 
I've been to restaurants where it, it just was unsavory. I'm not going to talk about any restaurants, but it just didn't look right to me. Baby, it is time to go. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. Yes, you confess salvation. And yes, the Holy Spirit is available to you. But when he shows up to envelop you and take control of you, he shows up and says, mm, it's unclean. I got to go. So now this God thing is extremely difficult and you don't know why it's not working and why it's not having the effect. It is simply because Jesus is not the only thing on the menu. And, it, oh, and as, oh, I'm, I'm sorry for taking so long on this, but, but as small as an appetizer is, you can get full off an appetizer. Pastor Wanzel, it's only an appetizer, but you're full, and now you won't eat the main course, and you pick at it and play over it because you ate too much of the appetizer. But if the appetizer is Jesus, and the main course is Jesus, and the dessert is Jesus, oh, skip the main course, just give me dessert because that's Jesus too. Jesus has to be the only thing on the menu. Shout Jesus. Shout Jesus. He has to be the only thing on the menu. What is on your spiritual menu? I'm not looking at you. I want you to look at you. What's on your spiritual menu? Do, do people look at you in your Christian walk and just say, eh, that's too much? Because, because today you were talking about God and tomorrow you start talking about the universe. It's just too much. What's on your spiritual menu? In church, he's Yahweh, but at work, he's a higher power. Jesus, oh God. Ask your neighbor what's on your menu. <clears throat> Can we get to the text? Y'all be talking too much, and it takes me a long time to get to the text. Before we dive into it, in our text today, um, Paul is on his second missionary trip. <clears throat> and um, he has gone to Thessalonica to preach the gospel in when he gets there, he uh, encounters some trouble. Um, and he ends up having to leave there, and he goes to a city called Berea. Um, and when he gets to Berea, the, the, the Bereans were very receptive of the gospel, and many were saved because of what Paul was preaching. <clears throat> but after a couple of days, um, the troublemakers in Thessalonica heard that Paul was in Berea, and then they came to Berea and started making trouble for him there. Um, so he flees um, to Greece. Uh, he lands in Athens. Um, and that is where we're going to pick up the text is when Paul gets to Athens. All right? The reason why I picked this text is because I believe it pulls out uh, and points to a, quite a few thoughts. I'm only going to give us three, but quite a few thoughts as to why um, our spiritual menu is so complex. He gets to Athens and he finds out that these Athenians have a very large palette for, for spiritual stuff. They're very religious. They're very spiritual. Um, 
and he starts to pull on some things during his stay there that I, I want to point out to us. Amen? <clears throat> Let's go to 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Shout idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Eupicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. The first point I want you to write down is the word idols. Say that with me, idols. Now, outside of biblical um, theologians, um, there are a multitude of historians and travelers um, that uh, wrote about their experience in Athens. Um, And every one of them spoke to the overwhelming number of idols and statues and graven images that you would see while you were in Athens. Uh, One secular writer wrote that it it is easier to meet a a God than a person in Athens. It's easier to meet a God than a person in Athens. Paul shows up to this historic place and almost like a tourist, um, he's trying to just walk the the, the city and see the scene. and really what he was trying to do was wait on Timothy and Silas to come to, to meet him so he could start to preach. He had told them to stay in Berea, and he was waiting on them to get there so he could start preaching. Um, but when he got there and started to um, peruse everything that was happening in that space, uh, and he saw just how impregnated the culture was with idolatry, he could not hold his peace anymore. So he had to start preaching on his own by himself. He had to start preaching and say something about the amount of idolatry that was taking place. And I wonder, just for a second, if you can just go with me, I wonder if Paul toured the city of you, James, the city of you, Mike, the city of you, Jordan, the city of you, Ezra, how many idols would he find? If he toured your city, Jordan, and Cheyenne, and Kennedy, how many idols would he find? So you're probably saying to yourself, well, Pastor Wanzel, he wouldn't find any idols. I don't have a golden calf, and and, and I don't have graven images in my house, and, you know, I I, I don't have a bronze statue of some deity sitting around. I, 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 I don't have any idols, but let me give you the definition of idol. Put it up on the screen for me, please. Idol, any person, place, thing, or thought that becomes as important or more valuable than God, Yahweh. An idol is anything that you default to or credit as your source in place of or in conjunction with the true and living God, Yahweh. Y'all should be writing that down like you've never written down anything in your life. Take a picture. I see somebody taking pictures. That's good. I want you to have this because I want this to come to your mind. Any person, place, thing, or thought that becomes as important or more valuable than God, Yahweh. An idol is anything that you default to or credit as your source in place of or in conjunction with the true and living God, Yahweh.
that's out there, Pastor Wanzo. Get more specific. Let me, let me call up some idols for you. You ready? Sex. Emotions. <laughs> let me stay right there for one second. Whenever how you feel means more than what God says, that's an idol. I just took God off his throne and I put my thought on the throne. So that means that my emotion is God. Sex, emotions, success, relationships, status, family, comfort, personal image, influence, entertainment, money, social media. Catch this one, a phone. Because if you look closely, social media, entertainment, sex, and all of these things, your phone is the gateway for everything that I just read off here. Look at your neighbor and say, be careful with that phone. Now check me out. Everything I just listed, everything, everything I just said, is a good thing. Everything I just listed is a good thing. Those are, those, most of those things are needed. You, you're going to experience those things at some point. But, but watch me. But whenever a good thing becomes the ultimate thing, or, listen to me now, or the gift becomes more valuable than the giver, I've just created an idol. Listen to me now. Whenever a good thing becomes the ultimate thing or the gift becomes more valuable than the giver, I have just created an idol. How many idols are in your city? The city of you, the city of you. How many idols are in your city? I love God. I know you do, but you love that too. I know you love God. There's no question about that. But is he the only thing that you love? Because here's the thing. There is nothing wrong, hear me on this, there is nothing wrong with all of these resources. But I have to understand that he is the source that supplies the resource. And I can never put the resource ahead of the source. How often do I put the resource ahead of the source? How often? No, no, no. He brought that love into your life. He brought that job into your life. He gave you that raise. He gave you that relationship. He gave you that experience. He gave, he gave the thought of social media to somebody. But at the end of the day, we've made those things more important than him. Our idols. I know we don't look at ourselves this way and we say, Pastor Wons, I'm here in church and I love God and I'll do anything for God. He's my God and I hear you. But you got idols. Let's keep pushing. Ask your neighbor, what idols? Say it louder, what idols do you need to get rid of? Let's push to verse 19. 
Then they took him and brought him to a meeting in the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Point number two, write this down, is the word information. Let me shout information. <clears throat> now, the Areopagus is better known as Mars Hill. Whoever's heard of Mars Hill? Never heard of Mars Hill? You should have heard that in church. Um, it was a world-famous platform and court where um, you would go debate and present new philosophies and ideas. Um, this Areopagus, or better known as Mar Mars Hill, um, men like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle would have all defended and debated their theological and philo philosophies uh, on this stage at some point. And now today in our scripture, Paul is getting ready to go present the gospel of Jesus Christ on this platform. It was a big day. It was a big day for the kingdom. But there was one problem. The Athenians didn't care about the truth of what they heard. They just wanted to be intellectually aroused. All they really cared about was, a th you know, something thought-provoking, something that, you know, argued their thoughts and something that they could mull over and, and something that was entertaining information. Here's what I would say to us. Whenever we receive God's word as information, we lose out on the power of transformation. Whenever we reduce God's word to just being information, we lose out on the power of transformation. It was the transformative power of God's word that raised Lazarus from the dead. It was the transformative power of God's word that had a lame man walk that had been laying on his mat for several years. It was the transformative power of God's word that stood in the midst of a storm and told it to stop and it ceased. It was the transformative power of God's word that healed so many. Listen to me. The effect of God's word, did, let me say this right. God's word will be effective in your life based upon how you receive it. They didn't care what Paul was saying. Just entertain us, Paul. Mmm, that was a good point. Mmm, that was deep. Did you hear what he just said and how deep that was? Girl, that was deep. But they didn't care about the truth. We've turned, <laughs> oh, let me say it like this. Sunday mornings for us are no different than a thumb worth of information on our phones. We sit in Sunday morning and we just thumb up. That was a good, that was a good word, Pastor Wells. That's good information. And we just keep thumbing up because we don't see it any more than information. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is that if you receive it different, shout receive it. If you receive it different, then there is power 
in the word of God that will transform your life. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need to inform you. He is trying to transform your situation. But the reason why it's not transforming is because you're not receiving it for what it is. There's power in the word of God. He's so deep. He's sure being exegetical today. (laughs) Whatever you want to say, listen to me. We are missing it. We treat Sunday mornings just like we treat all that information we see on our phone. Just a scroll. And we stay, listen to me, we stay void of miracle after miracle after miracle because we're just thumbing past the word of God as if it's information. God doesn't need to inform you of anything. to inform you. He is the oh God. He is the word. All words come from him. But we miss out on our miracles. We miss out on the turnaround. We miss out on the change. We miss out on the transformation because we don't, we don't put God's word in the seat that it needs to be in. Tell me something I didn't know, Pastor Wanzel. Make me believe it this time. Listen to me, until you learn to sit at his feet and understand that every word that falls from his mouth can change your life, you will continue to miss it. You will continue to miss it. There are are times, and you know this to be true, I'm I'm not going to call anybody's name, but there are times I got to talk you into a point. Prove it, Pastor Wanzel. If, you could, if, if, if there was a ticker over your head and it could tell me what you was thinking and I would say something, prove it then, Pastor Wazell. God doesn't have to prove himself to you. He's already, he's already revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. God doesn't have to prove that he loves you. He's already proved that he loves you because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for all sin. So he loves you. He doesn't have to prove anything to you. He's trying to train He's trying to transform you. He's not trying to inform you of who he is. He's trying to transform you. Make sure I transform. Okay, can I do this? Um, I love the, the, the Transformer movie series. I love the Transformer movie series. I like Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime. That's my guy. That's my guy. The reason why Optimus Prime and all of his followers were so unique is because they could transform. There'd have been nothing special about these guys if they didn't transform. If they just had the good voice and, and they could just talk and you know they had some missiles on their truck, they would be cool, but they wouldn't be transformers. The word of God is meant to transform you. Not to inform you. What makes the word of God special because there's transformative power in it. And until you start to tap into that, you're just going to be a regular degular. Is that the, is that the phrase? Make sure I got that right. Transformative power in the word of God. Listen to me. You should be rushing to this place to hear what God is going to say next. Because he wants to transform me. Shall I transform? Let's get this next point. Third and final point. 
go verse 22. <clears throat> Y'all there? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Third and final point for the day, write this word down. The word ignorance. Shout ignorance. Paul opens his address, um, and we forget how um, brilliant Paul was because he understood his audience. And he opens his address with an underhanded compliment and says to the Athenians, I see that you're very religious. You've checked the spiritual box multiple times. And as soon as they started to feel good about themselves and he softens them up, he goes in for the kill. He said, I, I see all your religion. But as I walked around your city, I noticed that there was an altar inscribed to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship. As religious as we are, we don't have a relationship with the God we worship. You show up on Sunday morning, you worship him, you pray to him, you might even get emotional before him. But the truth of the matter is, you're ignorant of him. You don't know him. The reason why Paul utilized this, 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 this altar as, as his springboard to, to, to dive into the gospel, and I want you to continue to read this because it was so good. This is probably one of the best sermons on apologetics that you will ever hear, the defense of the gospel. It is one of the best sermons you will ever hear. The reason why he used it as, 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 as a springboard, because they thought they were so knowledgeable about all spiritual things. They were so religious. And Paul says, you be showing up here every Sunday morning, and you don't even know who you worshiping. Through your own admission. Our religion means nothing without relationship. I'm glad that you show up Sunday after Sunday, but if you don't have relationship, you don't know him. If it isn't all about relationship, you don't know him. And here's the thing. This is how Paul utilizes this thing. He says, listen, the fact that you, you're worshiping a God that you don't know lets me know that you've been doing this for a very long time and you're okay with it. So now let me tell you who he is. 
Let me, let me present the gospel to you so that you know exactly who he is because you don't want your praise to be in vain. You want to make sure that when, 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 I'm, when I'm worshiping and I'm praising that my praise has an aim. And if I'm just praising in general, it can go anywhere. But no, I'm praising God, Jehovah. I am praising the one who saved me. I am praising Jesus. That is where my affection is. That is where my heart is. So my question to you today, is he unknown to you or do you really know him? Do you know him? Do you know the Jesus of Galilee? Do you know him? Do you know the one that turned the, the, the water into one? Do you know him? Do you know who he is? Do you know him as Yahweh? Do you know him as I am? Do you know him? Because Paul says, if you don't know him, your worship has no aim. All of their idols and all of their statues, they had shrines and they had temples. I mean, this place was, was a cesspool for spirituality. It was a mess. And Paul says this. The way that I know that you don't know him is that he is not the only one on the menu. Because once I fall in love with Jesus... Nothing else matters. There is nobody more important than him. There is nobody equal to him. There is nobody that can, that can take time from him. There is nobody that can take my, my heart from him. Once I know him, once I get to know him and I know him for real, he will be the only one on my menu. The only one on my menu. So the fact that you have all these shrines and you have all these altars and you, you have all these idols and all these things that you've built up lets me know that you don't know him for real. Peter says something so powerful, y'all. And I'm going to close with this. John 6, 68. Peter says, or answers Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says, where are we going to go and find somebody like you? Where would I find someone who loves me the way that you love me? So to whom shall we go? Who else out there is equal? You tell me. Who else can love you the way that he loves you? Who else will sacrifice the way that he sacrificed for you? Who, who else out there will love you and know all the stuff, all the dirty stuff about you? Who else out there will love you that way? Who, who else will love you knowing that you should be shamed for the stuff that you've done? Who else would love you that way? So he says, Peter says, listen to Jesus, to whom shall we go? Because we, be, we believe and we know you are the holy one. You are the only one that can save us. Stand Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.